Well, it was January 12th, 2007, in Washington, D.C., and it was during the morning rush hour commute that a musician walked into the L'Enfant subway station in Washington, D.C., and walked over to the side wall like many street musicians do, and brought out his violin case and opened it up and took out his violin and then put the open violin case on the floor in front of him so that people could, you know, toss money into the the case as they walked by. There were people hustling and bustling that morning, going in and out as he played. Uh, Nearby was a shoeshine stand where people were getting their shoes buffed, and nearby was a, a place where they sold lotto tickets and People were standing in a long line to get their scratch tickets and their Powerball numbers. But what seemed to go unnoticed was that the man playing violin that morning was Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is one of the world's greatest living violinists. Um, He was a child prodigy. At age four, his father found him in the bedroom strapping rubber bands between the the handles on the dresser and then moving the dresser drawers in and out to vary the pitch and plucking out, you know, classical music melodies. And his dad saw that and said, I should probably put him in music lessons. And uh, a few days before he did his his little subway performance, uh, he was at Boston Symphony Hall where the the cheap tickets were a hundred bucks. A few weeks after his performance... Uh, He was at another performance uh, where uh, it was standing room only and people would stifle their coughs and stifle any noise so that uh, nothing would disturb the genius brilliance that was being performed before them. And there he was in the subway playing. As if that's not enough, uh, the violin he played that morning was his own performance violin. It was a 300-year-old Stradivarius estimated at at least $3.5 million. And he played a particular piece of music by Johann Sebastian Bach, which is, is commonly regarded as one of the most difficult violin pieces there is to master. Uh, it, uh, according to Bell, he, he not only sees that particular piece of music as one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, but in his opinion, he said, it's one of... Uh, the greatest achievements of any human being in human history. And so there was the greatest violinist playing a ridiculously amazing violin and the hardest or one of the hardest violin pieces there was. And you wonder, why was he doing that? Well, it was interesting. It was actually part of a social experiment uh, that he put on with the Washington Post. You can go online. You can read the Washington Post. Just Google Joshua Bell Washington Post. It's a fascinating article, very well written. But, but they, they thought, what would happen if we put the best violinist playing the best music on the best violin sort of thing in the middle of a subway? Would people notice? You know, what would happen? Would there be a huge, you know, crowd of people that would gather that would snarl and choke the morning commute? Or would some people... You know, how much money would he make? Uh, you know, would, would, would a lot of people throw money in or would, you know, nobody notice? And so, so they did this experiment and what happened was hardly anybody noticed. Hundreds and hundreds of people in his 43-minute performance 
walked by. You know, uh, lots of people came for lotto tickets. Not a lot of people stopped for Joshua Bell. Um, a couple people did. One guy stopped who had uh, thought about going into performance violin in college. So he, his, ear, his ear caught this, and he said, this is not just your street performer. This is something special. Um, and then there was another woman who stopped because she had just happened to have seen a Joshua Bell concert a couple weeks earlier. So, you know, she saw him and was like, that's the guy on the stage kind of thing. So she went and, you know, enjoyed it. But other than that, no one really stopped. I, I guess the, the, uh, the reporter said that the one, the one type of people who, who tended to want to stop and listen were little kids. And they were often, you know, pulling on their parents and moms like, I'm moving, you know, we've got places to go. And, but the kids were drawn to the music. This evening in Christmas Eve, we pause to remember and rejoice in and celebrate the arrival, the incognito arrival of the greatest person ever. We, we gather here to, to remember and sing about and retell the story of when the greatest being ever was in our midst under the radar and nobody realized it. It's the story of God himself coming to earth as a little baby named Jesus. It's an interesting story, isn't it? How nobody noticed who he was, how, how he came in and it seemed that, that it made hardly any ripples at all in the world. You know, look at that story again in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we just heard it, but I'm just going to cover it again really quickly and just pull it, just highlight a few things. If you want to turn there and read it again for yourself, it's Luke chapter 2. It's on page 1014 in the, the Bibles in your pew. But it opens this way, and you know the story. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to the, her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Christmas story starts at rush hour. The whole Roman Empire is in motion. Uh, it, it reads like a busy subway stop, doesn't it? This decree goes out. The emperor says everyone must register. And so the whole Roman world is moving. People are, are uprooted and they're going places like a city waking up in the morning on a business day. Everybody in motion. And there in the midst of all this commotion, all this hustle and bustle, in the backwaters of the Roman Empire is this one young peasant couple that doesn't even register on the world's radar in any way. And they come to Bethlehem to Joseph's ancestral town. And there, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born. And nobody notices. The town fathers of Bethlehem don't say, whoa, 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 stop everything. Look who's born. Nothing comes out of Rome. They don't stop the census because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has arrived. It, it's so... It's so quiet. It's, it's so non-spectacular. In fact, nobody realizes what's happened. And so because earth has failed to recognize the coming of its 
maker, heaven has to give earth a clue. And that's the story of the shepherds in the fields, right? Where the angels come and tell the shepherds, hey, something has happened. Somebody is here. You don't realize it. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about so here we have this, this amazing part of the Christmas story, one of the iconic moments of the Christmas story where the shepherds are in the field, these regular working class guys, and suddenly the heavens split open and there's angels telling about the birth of the Savior. I mean, we, this is inspired art and it's inspired songs. I mean, think about all the, the angel songs we sing tonight, you know, angels we've heard on high, angels from the realm of glory, hark the herald angels sing. There's just angels all over Christmas, Right? It's because of this moment when the angels announce the birth of the Savior. Notice what they say. Verse 10, the angel says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, I love it, all the people. Christmas is for everybody. There's no one for whom the Christmas message isn't available. It's for every single person. The angels didn't go to Caesar Augustus or Quirinius, governor of Syria. They came to shepherds because it's for everybody, even the lowliest, even, even the, the people way out in the fields who are far away from the center of anything. It's for them too. It's for all people. If you're here tonight, the Christmas message is for you. And what is that message? What is this good news of great joy for all people? Well, we see that in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, the long-awaited Savior that the Messiah has come, and he's coming to save people. That's the good news for everybody, that God has sent a Savior for anyone who will receive him. Now, now what does that mean, the Savior? That's kind of a, a word we use to describe Jesus. But, you know, Savior, like, saves us from what? You know, what is it that Jesus is saving us from? And the thing we, we see throughout the Bible is that God has come to save us from our sins. You know, the testimony of Scripture and, and at the center of the, the good news is a little bit of bad news. And the bad news is that every single one of us, every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. If you're here this, mo- this evening, I almost said this morning, right? This evening... <laughs> You're a sinner in need of a Savior. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And that may sound kind of weird to hear. Like, it's kind of depressing on Christmas Eve. Like, why are you saying that? It's supposed to be happy. Why why are you saying this? I mean, we don't really use the word sinner very much, right? Like, we use it sarcastically. Like, oh, you're such a sinner. You know, we kind of say stuff like that. But it's not really in our normal parlance. But this is why Jesus came. And so we need to see that we need saving from this. And sin is not just like doing something wrong sometimes or I messed up or oops, I did it again or, 
you know, I made a mistake, even though those things can be individual sins. But you have to understand, being a sinner means our whole orientation is away from God and toward ourselves. That our natural inclination is to see the universe as, I'm the sun and everything orbits around me, including God. Unless God lets me down somehow, then I'm mad at him because he didn't focus on me. Where we're the center of everything. But the reality is, God is the center of everything. Life is about God, not about us. He's the sun, and we're supposed to orbit around him. And, and God is, is there. You know, God is the great musician who is always playing his music in the world. Every sunrise and every sunset is a great symphony of God's majestic creativity. Every bird you hear singing in the trees, like we did on this beautiful summer day today, Every, every time you hear the thunder roar or you hear wind blowing in, you know, through the fir trees and that sound of wind in, in the leaves, or every time you hear the, the waves crash, you're hearing the music pouring forth from God's violin as, as God is, is showing his greatness and his creativity and his beauty. When you hear kids laugh or kids talk, it's God's music that he's playing in the world. You know, some of you will be with little kids tomorrow morning, maybe, maybe your own kids or grandkids or nephews and nieces, and you'll hear all their little squeals and voices and, and you know, wrapping paper and yay and rejoicing. That's, that's God's music pouring forth into your life. Every time someone hugs you or tells you they love you, God is playing his great song, the beauty of his creation. I talked to, uh, had dinner once with an atheist and a uh, super smart guy, way smarter than I am, and uh, was, he's a physicist, so he knew things that I didn't even begin to understand. And uh, I was talking to him, and, and I, I just asked him, I said, I go, do you ever think that there might be a God? And he's, he's a really honest guy. He thought about it. He said, yes. And I was like, what? Like, well, like, when do you think there might be a God? And he said, it's whenever... I look at the faces of my children. And that was a really honest answer. Because if there is no God, you have to look at your kids, and if you're going to be honest, you have to say, they don't really actually mean anything. That any beauty or value I perceive in them is completely made up in my head as part of some evolutionary trick to keep our species going. There isn't actually meaning in anything besides what we invent. But he looks at his kids and says, I don't know if that's true. And so God is the great performer. His music is everywhere. You can't get away from it. (laughs) You can't walk out of the station and not hear it. It's the whole world. Everything we see and hear is this, this awesome symphony of God's majesty playing for us. And we don't hear it (laughs) because we're like, I gotta do my thing, (laughs) you know? I got to go here. I've been at Duncan's now for a minute and my coffee's not ready. I got stuff to do. It's all about me. Like, let's get going, people. Right? We're just, it's about us. And people are about us, we think. And the amazing story of Christmas is that, is that we've responded so horribly to God's glory. And the way God responded to our lame response, our sinful response, the way God responded to our response was not to be like, well, they don't want to listen to my music. I'm out of here. Violin, bye-bye. He didn't do that. He said, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to go closer. I'm going to become one of them. And I'm going to walk among them. And I'm going to play a new song, not just the music of creation that you can see anytime, anywhere, but the music of salvation. I'm going to save them and forgive them. And so the Son of God not only came as an innocuous little baby, but he died as a weak criminal for our sins, not his, because he had none. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ was bearing the sins of a world that was ignoring the glory of God. And so now there is this new song, this new melody that harmonizes with the the beautiful melody of creation. There's the melody of creation and there's the melody of redemption through Jesus. And and they, they weave forth in the world and they tell us that God is real that Jesus was born, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and and he saves anyone who will listen. And so here at Christmas Eve, we we pause. It's like one of those moments where we kind of do a stutter step in front of the violinist and we listen for a second. There's a moment, there's an opportunity here to, to listen. What will we do, right? Do we just keep on trucking like, oh, that was great, gotta go now, time to eat, presents, this and that. Or maybe, maybe we slow down a little bit. We're like, oh, interesting. Yeah, here's a buck. You know? Do we, do we stop a little bit and say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season. Oh, that's good to remember. Yeah, I'm off. Or, 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 or will we stop and say, wait a minute. This is what life is actually about. You know, the purpose of human life is, is to know God, to love God, to be happy in God, to serve God, to glorify God, to worship God, to obey God. That's why you're on planet Earth. That's why I'm on planet Earth. And the music is playing, the music of God's glory and the music of his salvation in Jesus for anyone who will stop and listen. Will you stop and listen? Will you put lay aside whatever it is you think life is all about and that you're all steamed up over and realize that no, 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 it's all backwards. He's the center and Christ has come for people like us. May it be that when we hear heaven's music, we might be like the shepherds who said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to pour forth your music into this world as broken, as sinful, and as messed up as this world is. As, as all, with all the things we do to it, you keep playing. And we thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. And God, we thank you also for Jesus. And we pray that, that this Christmas Eve, this Christmas, we might be given ears to hear what you're saying We might be given eyes to see Jesus. We might be given hearts to believe. And I pray, Lord, for even those of us who who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who do love Jesus, that we would would pause again and that we would worship. We would come with the shepherds to Bethlehem and we would worship Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray, have mercy on us and work in our lives. In Jesus' name.